And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education and politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And summer is setting in, but not uh, not slowing things down very much. We've had a pretty busy week uh, catching up on a lot of uh, news coming out in, in the education front. Absolutely, Kevin. Let's start with the big news of the week. On Tuesday, the state released SAT scores uh, for Idaho. You took a detailed look at the numbers and the new SAT test. So kind of walk us through what's changed this year and how did Idaho students do? Well, a lot changed, and we can get to that as we go here. But the bottom line, um, the SAT scores came out, big data drop, and we, we got the results uh, statewide and also by district and school. Uh, the bottom line here is uh, students on the SAT uh, fared reasonably well on the new college and career readiness metric that uh, that's attached to this new SAT. And, and it starts to get really complicated, and we walk you through it pretty well at idahoednews.org. But here's the bottom line. Uh, for this test, which is now a test on math and on uh, reading and writing skills, about a third of the students who took the test in April scored college and career ready on both metrics, on both of the tests. Uh, when you look at the the verbal part of the SAT, the, the, the reading and writing, the college and career readiness figure is a lot higher, it's 62%. Uh, when you look at math, 35% of students uh, were college and career ready. Now that's significant and, and something I, I'm going to want to follow up on a little bit more uh, in the days to come. It's another math score in Idaho that's uh, that's a little bit concerning. We, right. We've written about this before, and we've written about this with past installments of the SAT. Uh, math scores uh, have kind of lagged behind uh, some of the other scores and some of the other subjects, and that's been a concern for the State Department of Education. So a uh, new, new set of numbers here. One of the things that's really kind of uh, challenging with these new numbers is, uh, as you as you reference, it's, it's a very different test. Uh, we have two sections now instead of three. So the scoring system is completely different. Uh, it's really difficult to, to do a valid comparison or a, an, an easy comparison between the old scores and the new scores. So we really tried not to, in our coverage this week, say whether schools are doing better or worse than they did a year ago. It, it's, it's really not a valid or easy comparison to make. So we, we tried to steer clear of that. What you can do is look at uh, kind of how do the schools stack up against each other. No real surprises there. Uh, a lot of the schools that have done well and a lot of the districts that have done well in the past uh, on SATs uh, fared, fared well again. Um, you know, a lot of the lower performing schools, as you would expect, are, are your alternative high schools, um, you know, where you have students who are facing a lot of, a lot of challenges beyond, uh, beyond the SAT. So you're not surprised by that, and you know you put those numbers into perspective as well. So, so we kind of labeled it a mixed bag because on the verbal end of it, the scores were uh, were better than they were on the math end, and on this college and career readiness metric, a little bit of an improvement. It is a different metric. It is a different uh, threshold that students are being held to. It's a little bit. Um, yeah, what does that What does that mean when the College Board, the the nonprofit behind the SAT test, 
it is a college entrance exam. What does that mean when they talk about college ready? What, what does that mean? What they're trying to say here is, and it's predictive, obviously, and when you start to predict how kids are going to do when they go to college, it's an inexact science. I think everybody would agree on that. What they're saying now is uh, they're defining college and career readiness as um, if a student scores at this threshold, uh, the College Board believes that that student has a 3 and 4 chance, 75% chance of getting at least a C average in college. The old threshold was a B minus average in college. So obviously, you know, the, the threshold is a little bit lower now in terms of a GPA that they're looking for. But again, you know, we're predicting, and they're predicting who they think is, is college and career ready. Um, and obviously, there's been a lot of controversy about this whole college and career readiness uh, metric and, and this whole threshold and how much can you draw and how much can you read into those numbers. So anyway, we look at the numbers this week. We've got a pretty detailed uh, first look at it, and we'll, we'll dig into the numbers in the days ahead and try to give some more insight. Yeah. But <laughs> even as we get these new numbers on the SAT, good you know, it's a good time also to look at uh, what happened the day before the SAT numbers came out. On Monday, the committee was talking about uh, the future of the SAT in Idaho. You were there, Clark. Yeah, on Monday I was participating. I was covering a state board of education subcommittee. This was the group that was looking at the Every Student Succeeds Act. They also, very much related to that discussion, got into the future of testing in Idaho. And this subcommittee, which I want to make it clear, they're just a body that makes recommendations. That, you know, this action that they took in itself does not do anything. So what they recommended is at the high school level, high school juniors take the smarter balanced SBAC common core test, right. and that would be the extent of the required testing at the high school level. This subcommittee also recommended to do away with a high school graduation requirement that requires students to complete a college entrance exam, such as the SAT or the SAT right now. Right. And that's why these SAT day scores that we get, uh, we pay so much attention to, because we're talking about this year 17,000 kids taking the SAT at state expense, because, uh, you know, as you say, it's been a graduation requirement, so the state has made the SAT available for free, so consequently... Most high school juniors around the state wind up taking the SAT, so we look at that and we look at those numbers because it's a, a really broad sampling of the student population. But if you get rid of the SAT or any kind of college uh, entrance exam as a graduation requirement, that, that changes the whole the, the whole look at uh, who winds up taking the SAT. Well, absolutely it would. Uh, this is kind of the first step. We had heard some discussions from State Superintendent Sherry Ybarra about educators maybe favoring the ACT instead mm -hmm. of the SAT. The, this group went farther uh, and, and said, let's do away with that college entrance exam. And Linda Clark, the former superintendent of the West Ada School Board, said it's just not necessary for the state to pay for every high school junior to take the SAT test because of the move towards direct in-state admissions, which is based on the GPA. Uh, Linda Clark said most students who will be going to school in Idaho do not need SAT or ACT, but if you're going to a private school uh, or a out-of-state school, then you would. And so that is likely to come back to the State Board of Education for consideration as early as this August, and so we will watch that and let you know uh, there's a lot of discussions going on right now, Kevin, as you know, about testing fatigue, the right level and appropriateness of testing, what we're getting out of our testing. And so this is the latest uh, kind of uh, mm -hmm. salvo in that right. debate. And, 
And then quickly, the, the committee was also talking on Monday about a school accountability measure, which the state doesn't have and hasn't had for several for years. years. Uh, what's the state of that debate? And where does that start now? It's in the discussion phases. This isn't something that's going to affect the upcoming school year, but that same committee is gearing up to push back against a potential reporting requirement under ESSA, under Every Student Succeeds. What the, the way the discussion is going at the federal level is they're looking at asking the state to provide a single summative ranking for every school in the state, in Idaho and all 50 states. and A lot like the five-star system we used to have. That's the problem. Controversial, and, and a lot of people would say flawed five-star system that we used That's to have. the problem. Pete Kohler, for, uh, Sherry Ybarra's uh, deputy superintendent, said it looks too much like the five-star system. We're trying to get away from that. He said it unfor- unfairly lumps uh, poorer smaller rural schools in with larger, wealthier urban schools and charter schools, and it's just not an apples-to-apples comparison. So they're gearing up to fight that. Again, nothing is official, but that's something coming down the line. And so look for that, and we'll continue to cover that as well. In other news this week, you were out uh, again at the West Davis School District on Tuesday night, and you're a new trustee. You're sworn in. And you get a very uh, sobering budget uh, presentation pretty soon after you get uh, sworn in. Um, take us through a day in the life of a new uh, West Ada trustee. So, um, yeah, uh, on Tuesday evening is when the West Ada School District officially swore in the two new board members uh, that they appointed last week. Those positions were created after the voter recall in the primary. And so the two new board members, Ed Klopfenstein and Steve Smiley, were sworn in. Not 10 minutes later did West Ada get into their budget hearing, and the state's largest school district, Kevin, uh, has some growing pains and some financial uh, difficulties at Mm -hmm. this point. They approved a budget last night uh, that allows for $4 million in deficit spending. They're going to spend down their reserve balance uh, to and, and the reason they, they're going to do that, the, the case that they made, is they're opening two new schools. They anticipate an increase of 500 student mm-hmm. enrollment, and, and they have higher salary and benefit costs uh, with their staff members and with the new staff members they're hiring to staff those two new schools that will be opening. So, so new trustees, but a familiar challenge for West Aid of growth and the, the, the obligations and the challenges and the costs that come with continued growth in that district. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was. So uh, that's not new, uh, but it is. there was a sense of concern that they would spend down their fund balance from less than $10 million uh, to less than $6 million. That is the concern. The West A.S. School District had a goal to have 9% fund balance reserved. They're going to fall well short of that in the mm-hmm. upcoming school year if they deficit spend to this level. And so I think new Superintendent Marianne Reynolds and new school board members are going to look to address this however they can, knowing that more growth is on the way uh, behind the existing growth that they're expecting for the upcoming school year. So we will keep an eye on what's going on in West Ada and, uh, and what happens now with, uh, with the fiscal picture in, in the state's largest district. We'll keep on top of it for everyone. Kevin, earlier in the week, you went to an interesting conference put on uh, by the State Department of Education that focused on Native American Indian education. What were some of the, what were some of the things that they covered during this conference? Well, it was interesting. It was a two-day conference. Uh, coordinated uh, by the State Department of Education and other other groups, to look at 
how uh, how to teach a, a, you know, teach Native American students and, and how to uh, and how to gear a curriculum towards uh, towards Native American populations. And the theme this year was uh, trying to uh, to work culturally responsive uh, learning into the classroom. And, and you know, a, a lot of talk. Um, an interesting presentation I sat in on Monday morning looking at sort of the history of tribal sovereignty and how does that apply into the classroom? How, how does that uh, how does that reflect into the classroom? And, you know, I think for, for the educators, uh, for Shari Ibarra, who spoke uh, at the outset of the conference, it's a it, it's an issue of, of honoring and respecting culture, but it's also a, a matter of trying to uh, engage and motivate students by uh, by being more reflective and, and more uh, more sensitive and, and more uh, aware of, uh, you know, of cultural history and tribal sovereignty. So I have a story on IdahoNews.org that kind of walks through the the discussion and sort of sets the stage. It's interesting stuff, and um, you know, so check that story out at IdahoNews.org. All right. Um, it, it's been a busy week, but Kevin, that hasn't stopped you. Uh, you're getting out the door. You're taking a really cool uh, trip this week. We talked a little bit about the summer of soccer last week, and you're about to start living that. Uh, what, what are you up to? Well, uh, by the time you're listening to this podcast, I will be in Seattle uh, combining kind of two of my favorite uh, recreational activities. Uh, one is watching soccer. As, uh, as some of you know, uh, Copa America, this uh, North and South American uh, soccer tournament featuring national teams from, uh, from the Western Hemisphere, has been playing out in, uh, in the United States for the first time uh, this summer. And the quarterfinal match, one of the quarterfinal matches, uh, was in Seattle Thursday night. We bought tickets months ago. Didn't know we'd see the uh, United States team in action. So combining that uh, aspect of the trip with, uh, with a race, with running. I'm going to be doing a half marathon in Seattle, one of my favorite cities. Uh, great chance to see, see the city 13.1 miles at a time. So it's a, it's a fun trip. I've been looking forward to it, mostly because my youngest son moved to Seattle a few months ago. I haven't seen him since Christmas, so it'll be a chance to uh, catch up with him and, and see Seattle through, through his eyes. He's been there now for a few months and you know, getting accustomed to the city, and you know, I'll see some sites that I uh, that tourists might not normally see because he's uh, been living that uh, living that city. Uh, very cool, and uh, I know this game will have already taken place by the time we release the pod. But the U.S. has a very real chance to move on to the final four of this Copa America tournament and take on a tough world-class team, potentially an Argentina, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yes. They're uh, on a collision course. Uh, the, the winner of the game Thursday night. With perhaps Argentina. And perhaps the world's best player in Lionel Messi. One final thought. How cool would it be to be a soccer fan in Seattle this week? They got to see Argentina play on Tuesday. They get the big, big U.S. game on Thursday night. So that's a lot of fun. I'm excited uh, that you're taking these trips, that you get to spend time with your family. And I'll just be screaming at my TV. You'll be there. uh, Screaming. (laughs) Screaming for about 50,000 other people. I can't wait. (laughs) All right. Well, it sounds awesome. Thank you so much. 
for listening to Extra Credit. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Idaho Ed News and check our site every day for the best continued education coverage in the state. We will be we back. We'll have a busy week next week, so keep an eye out for, uh, for the latest in education and politics. All right. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.